This is the penultimate episode of the Fall of Rome, and the end is in sight for the Western Roman Empire. And not because of the huge invasions of the Huns in the 440s and early 450s, which the brilliant commander Flavius Aetius somehow managed to beat back. Although the Huns had been devastating and had started this whole chain of events off in the first place, it wasn't them who delivered the body blow to the Roman Empire. And it wasn't the sackers of Rome either, the Visigothic supergroup which had wrecked Thrace and Italy before actually helping the Romans recover Spain and fight the Huns. The real moment of reckoning, the moment the empire was left hanging by a thread, came from the Vandals. And they would deliver such terrible wounds to the Western Roman Empire that while it limped on for a few decades yet, it never recovered. It's no wonder their name has gone down in history as a euphemism for devastation and wanton destruction. Welcome to the Vandals and the loss of North Africa. To start with, we need to go back in time from where we left the Huns in our last episode. Back in 417, Constantius had subdued and then unleashed the Visigoths onto the Vandals and Alans in Spain. The Alans were almost entirely annihilated, and one branch of the Vandals was completely wiped out. The survivors were now hemmed into Galicia in northwest Spain, along with the Suevi. But the death of both Constantius and the Emperor Honorius by 423 led to political chaos and Roman civil war for more than a decade. The Roman resurgence was over and the golden age which had seemed about to dawn was already now a distant memory. This was the deciding moment. While the knives came out in Rome, the Vandals and Alans decided now was the right time to strike out. In 425, they streamed out of the mountains of Galicia, stretched their legs and ran amok. Things quickly spiralled out of control, and the Romans were losing their grip on Spain once again. But the Vandals knew from bitter experience that once a new Roman commander had established himself in Italy, they would become public enemy number one. They'd had a taste of what the Visigoths could do when they were Roman allies, and they didn't much fancy another major Roman action against them. They had always been in the empire by force of arms, and there really was nowhere to run if things went bad. At this point, it was life or death for the Vandals. So, in 428, a new leader rose to the Vandal kingship, Geyseric, and he quickly decided that he would do what Alaric had wanted to do after sacking Rome back in 410. Take North Africa. It made enormous sense. Geyseric could get there relatively easily from southern Spain. It was hugely wealthy, rich in agriculture, and most importantly, was more easily defendable than Spain given that the Romans would have to assemble a fleet to get there. So, Geyseric moved every single one of his 80,000 followers to Morocco, spending a month running a ferry operation across the Straits of Gibraltar. By June 429, 
the Vandals were in Roman Africa. They now spent a full year walking 2,000 kilometres east along the African Mediterranean coast. But once they arrived, they fell on the pleasant and undisturbed Roman provinces with vicious glee. The Catholic bishop, Victor of Vita, gave colour to the scene. Finding a province which was at peace and enjoying quiet, the whole land beautiful and flowering on all sides, they set to work on it with their wicked forces, laying it waste by devastation and bringing everything to ruin by fire and murders. They did not even spare the fruit-bearing orchards, and they raged with great cruelty, unchanging and relentless. The Roman governor of Africa, Boniface, rushed together his available forces and marched out to meet them. But sadly for him, of the 31 regiments he had available, only four were top-grade Roman field army units. The upshot was that when this army of what were essentially repurposed garrison troops met the horde of battle-hardened Vandals and Allens, the result was a predictable bloodbath. With nothing left to stop him, Geyseric besieged the major city of Hippo Regius and sent his forces far and wide where they ransacked the richest provinces of the West Roman world, Numidia, Proconsularis and Byzacena. In one fell swoop, Geyseric had throttled the lifeblood of the empire. The revenues and grain shipments from North Africa were utterly critical to Rome's survival, especially given the crippling effects that repeated invasions, pillaging and occupation had had on Italy, Gaul and Spain since 406. It's no exaggeration to say that the sword of Damocles now hung directly over the heart of Rome. Geyseric knew it, and so did the Western Generalissimo, Aetius. Aetius we met in our last episode, and he had risen to the position of effective ruler of the Roman West in the political chaos following the death of Constantius. He was a remarkable and brilliant commander, who had spent the 420s fighting successful campaigns against rebellious Visigoths, invading Franks and infighting Romans. But now, with no troops left in Africa and forces tied up everywhere else, he had no choice but to make a hasty peace with Geyseric, which he did in 435. The Vandals were allowed to stay just to the west of the richest provinces around Carthage. But the real problem was that there were so many other issues facing the West at this time. Visigoths, Franks, Alamanni, Suevi, all on the loose in Gaul and Spain. Given this multitude, North Africa was left essentially undefended. And the temptation proved too much for Geyseric. Just four years later, out of nowhere, he and his Vandal Allen hordes sprang out of their North African prizes and marched headlong into the vital heartlands of Numidia, Proconsularis and Byzacena, where they captured the glittering jewel of Carthage. The poet Merobords described the carnage. 
There is no one to bury the dead, but horrible death soiled all the streets and all the buildings, the whole city indeed. And think on the evils we are talking about. Mothers of families dragged off into captivity, pregnant women slaughtered, babies taken and thrown to die on the street. The impious power of the barbarians has even demanded that those women who were once mistresses of many servants have suddenly become the vile servants of barbarians. Every day there comes to our ears the cries of those who have lost in this assault a husband or a father. No other single act could have done more to harm the Western Roman Empire. The lost grain shipments to Rome alone would do untold damage. Rome was at this time the largest city on earth and famine loomed large. To say nothing of the revenue surplus the region provided, which was essential to keeping the army paid and equipped to continue the fight against the omnipresent invaders everywhere. Just imagine Aetius's face when he heard how his heart must have sunk. But there was no time to waste on self-pity and Aetius wasn't the sort anyway. He sprang into action and in a remarkably short time for the ancient world. By early 441 he had gathered an armada of 1100 ships from both halves of the Roman Empire representing several tens of thousands of men together with horses, artillery and supplies. The Eastern Roman contingent was so large that it had five commanders appointed to it. They rendezvoused on the island of Sicily and prepared for one of the largest seaborne operations of the entire Roman world ever. When the sailing season began at the end of March, vengeance would surely be theirs. North Africa would be retaken and the Vandals annihilated. Fate, though, wasn't kind to the Romans. Suddenly, a new threat erupted that simply couldn't wait. Merobords gives us a clue in an epic piece of writing. He gives us an image of the Roman goddess of war, Bellona, speaking to her ally and Greek equivalent, Enyo. I will call forth nations situated far away in the north. I will jumble peoples together. I will break the treaties of kingdoms and the noble courts will be thrown into confusion by my tempests. Force savage crowds into war and bring forth Scythian quivers. Hordes of bowmen from Scythia and the north could only mean one thing. The Huns. Just as the Armada was about to set sail for the Vandals, the Huns had swarmed over the Eastern Empire's northern frontier and begun laying waste to everything in sight. All the troops of the East and West Roman Empires were urgently recalled, and the masterstroke that would have returned North Africa to the fold was abandoned. Aetius and the Western Roman Empire would have to cope as best they could but they didn't cope well, and the loss of North Africa caused a financial, political, social and military crisis. There just wasn't enough money or food to go around for everything that was needed, 
and Aetius expended pretty much the last of its resources, beating off Attila the Hun's titanic invasions of the West in 451. Despite his almost Herculean brilliance, Aetius was now fighting the tide. Join us next time for our last episode of this series, where the Eastern Roman Empire of the 460s, now free of Hunnic raids, flexed its muscles across the Mediterranean Sea. Not willing to let its brothers and sisters in the West fade and fail, it spent a hundred thousand pounds of gold putting together another massive armada and combined it with armies from Illyria, Egypt and the West itself. This vast force was then pointed straight at Vandal Africa in a final, decisive, do-or-die bid to resurrect the ailing West. Find out what happened in the final episode of The Fall of Rome. Thanks for listening. See you then.